I'm here this afternoon with Mr. Squiggle from the street art collective In Decline. So we're somewhere in the USA at a secret location. We're sitting down and we're having a bit of a chat about what does it take to get a, a street art movement going? How do you get the ball rolling? So these guys have, have been covered by LA Times, Rolling Stone, Vice and Time. Pretty renowned with their movement and done some pretty pro- prolific things within within the last 20 years. Been around since 2001. So welcome to the show, Mr. Squiggle. Thanks for having me. So yeah, you guys have, have been around for 20 years, covered a lot of bases with, with your movement and I guess the the political climate has changed in the last 20 years. So you guys have probably shifted your focus and attention over time and I guess now more than ever we need people like yourself to be involved politically because there's a lot of a lot of insanity in the USA at the moment specifically with you know our our current government all the way through to police brutality there's a bunch of crazy shit happening so yeah welcome to the show local heroes so what the what me show's about is just having a chat about what we can do like my specific um, agenda to start out with was to get young people sort of motivated and moving into uh, things they can do creatively or, you know, jobs that, that they want to do that they're passionate about and try and deliver some information about that. So um, this is a perfect um, example of uh, the local heroes and, and people doing cool shit. You guys are doing some super rad shit. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm stoked to be sitting down and having a chat with you. How would you describe your collective? What's the sort of um, your, your objective? In Decline was... I think the best way to, to describe it is as an activist art collective. You know, we, we we function in both zones. We fuse the two, and what we typically focus on is social, economical injustices. Of course, ecological injustices. We have such a, an issue with global warming, climate change, and then you know political injustices. You know, any, anything carried out by a local or international agency, whether that's the police or the or our current government. And so we we move through those different worlds consistently. There's some of those issues are a little more evergreen, you know, they'll always be around. You mentioned police brutality. That's been around since the police have been around. Climate change is a growing issue that will be around far beyond our time here on Earth. And so those are things that you have to attack consistently and kind of creatively figure out ways to make it fresh and new and and also accessible to people. And then there's new threats like President Trump, you know, that only really come around so often, but when they do come around, it's it's game time. You know, so when we were when we were getting started, Bush was in office, which was a complete fucking <laughs> circus. You know, we had two wars going on, there was all kinds of chaos, and then there was of course eight years of Obama, things mellowed out a little bit. It was a lot harder to to attack, you know, in terms of what we were trying to do, because we had this democratically elected president, first African-American president. Things were seemingly great. And then here comes Trump. So in decline again, has its moment to come back strong. And so we've been we've been pretty active for the last couple of years on him, in, in addition to the other number of things that are always going on. So what would you say your objectives are with with your projects and, and what are you trying to do with your creativity and, and, and what you're trying to deliver? Everything, everything we produce has a couple, you know, in results. The first, of course, is raising awareness. You know, whatever it is we're touching on, we want to make sure that we're, we're drawing attention to that specific issue. 
we're pretty heavy handed. You know, we're also very creative. We, I don't think do, I don't know that we've done anything legal. <laughs> I think most of our projects are illegal in one way or another. And so, you know, there's a Robin hood element to a lot of the things we do. And in doing that, they have this inherent value to the general public, to the media and to whether it's a fan or, you know, a school teacher or whoever's coming in contact with it, because it is, it can be very shocking or it can be very abrasive, but it gets your attention. And then once we have your attention, you know, we really make sure to focus on the educational aspect of what it is we're trying to say. We're not just taking bricks and throwing them through the headquarters of some white supremacist, you know, uh, business. It's, it's a creative and artistic piece about white supremacy in America and the history of that. And so we operate in so many different mediums that, you know, we're constantly changing, whether it's a sculpture or a mural or some sort of, you know, uh, theatrical piece in the middle of a, in the middle of New York city, we'd like to keep things moving. And, uh, we always like to keep people guessing what we're going to do next, but at the root of all of that, it's always about educating people on an issue and then furthermore inspiring the generation that's going to come up behind us the same way we were inspired by the ways people dealt with the AIDS crisis in New York with ACT UP, the way Bugga Up in Australia did the tobacco industry, whoever was going up against tyrants in other countries, whether it was through music or theater or punk rock, we always looked at them. How did our, you know, how did our type of people handle Nixon and Reagan? And so Trump is just another version of those fit for a modern time and it's our time to kind of fight him and you know somewhere between whatever two and 20 years from now we might have someone far worse than him and we might not be around to carry the torch and so it's going to be up to someone to look to us what we did now so the protest has changed i think i mean obviously rallying was a a a pretty successful form of protest probably in the 60s and 70s it seems as though the the kind of rallying protests seem to be getting washed out over time. It seems as though it's not as effective even these days as like a meme or a little pocket of information that you can get on, on the internet, you know, something that's thoughtful or pr- provocative. So do you think like your protest or the way that you guys are protesting has changed in the last 20 years because of the internet and the way that things are changing in, in that forum? Absolutely. I think we'll always see things like the Million Woman March. And I mean, there's 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 always going to be marches and protests and those are important, but they're essentially these one day affairs and it's good to show solidarity and it's good to have a collective body that comes together to speak out against an just issue. I wonder about the effectiveness of them, though, because it just it, it seems as though with the way that people are receiving information these days, it, you know, if you, if you can get something out to a million people, um <laughs> And it's a little a little pocket of information. Sometimes that thing can that piece of information can drive home more than you know people marching and and so I'm just wondering like yeah if if that sort of is something that you think about when you when you're creating or designing. Yeah, because we work in the shadows. We don't join those marches all the time, you know, or riots or anything like that. We're we're looking to strike in a different you know, at night and, and, and do our things under the cover of darkness. And, and when we do something that's very successful it, it, and it goes viral, yeah, it's going to, it's going to reach a lot of people. Um, Banksy can do a very simple stencil that can get shared billions of times before you're having your lunch. I think the, there's, there's a benefit to that, but there's also, it's worth noting that a lot of those people are receiving those things in, the, in a sedentary state. They're not up actively doing anything. They're just looking at their phone and being like, oh, and they're going through hordes of information. And it is nice to see that someone else has gone and do, done something 
but there's also the added benefit of, you know, fucking doing something yourself, like getting up and being active in the movement as well, not just letting other people do it for you. So it's nice to be able to provide a combination of entertainment and education through political and activist art. And there's been a bunch of people that have been doing that very well alongside us for the last few years. But it's also very humbling and encouraging to see hundreds of thousands of women take to the streets to, you know, fight for their rights, whether it's here or over in Argentina or whatever the case may be. There was just massive marches related to climate change the other day. Those are always going to be happening and they're very important, but I'm, I side with you on, it is just maybe four hours of a very controlled permitted instance where, you know, they allow them to go do their thing. You don't want it to go into complete chaos where cars are being burned, but it's also kind of, you know, it's a, it's a notion that, uh, it's something's wrong, but really the effectiveness of it is just Trump's going to just swat that fly away. It's not, mm-hmm. a, big, not a big deal. So you mentioned the, the bugger up. Is that what it was? Bugger. Yeah, it's B-U-G-A. So I, I'm probably a little bit too young maybe for that, for that movement, or maybe it was around and I just wasn't aware of it. So what was that one all about? Bugger Up was a Billboard Liberation uh, collective uh, before, I believe, the Billboard Liberation Front, which was the, you know, the original big one here in the United States and abroad. But Bugger Up focused specifically on um, the tobacco industry. And so they were constantly hitting billboards around Australia and their methods were just totally crass. Um, not their not their messages, but I mean, it was just a can of spray paint. And they would sometimes they would alter the message or sometimes they would just go up there and just tag something as a as a subtitle or a footnote to the to the advertisement itself but they were so consistent with it and their method of letting people join was so simple it was just if you have a can and you hit a billboard you're now a member of this there was no induction process or or anything it was just go go fight against big tobacco and they essentially they were able to do it so much and get so much support and press that um australia banned billboards advertising tobacco products and they were solely responsible for that it was a again it was a, a instance where there's there was so much information and this was before the internet this was just you had to be driving down the highway or pick up your local physical paper to read or see about these guys they didn't even have the chance to go viral and they still pulled off something that you rarely see you know uh, advertising laws change as a result of vandals, and that was a really monumental moment for that. Yeah, that's that's a, that's a rad little story, and I guess that's a, a little bit of information um, for any kids out there that are keen to sort of um, add their little bit, add their little piece. It, it seems like there is just so much to protest at the moment in, in this climate. You're just saying about Trump, but it just seems like on so many faces that environmentally, politically, and not just in the States, we're also having political issues in Australia. You know, we, the last 10 years, we haven't had a stable government. I think in the UK, it's the same, you know. So it just seems like at the moment, the Western world is in disarray, as it seems. So I guess that sort of leads me into my next question. If if I'm a young kid coming up and I want to get creative and I want to protest, what would you sort of suggest to what's the best way to get the ball rolling on, you know, maybe building a collective or getting a crew together to, to try and make a protest? And what's the best way to deliver a message that's going to sort of deliver to the most people? Well, the first, yeah, the first step is the crew. I mean, it's always strength in numbers. It's very hard to do things by yourself as many you know, as, as, as uh, many people think that Banksy's a solo act, he's not. We know that. 
it's a it's a team that makes Banksy, and um, there is uh, whether you're starting a punk rock band that's going to be politically charged or a collective like us. I mean, I know women that have you know feminist skateboard graffiti crews. There's theater groups that are overtly political in the theater in the, in the pieces that they adapt. If it's Sophocles, they'll do Antigone, and Antigone will be you know related to the Trump era. So there's a million different ways to go about it. You kind of have to find your place. And within Decline, it was a question of a small group of guys getting together, and and we all had different talents. And so some of us were graffiti writers, some of us were filmmakers. We saw. Um, again, it's paying attention to the, the era that you're living in, but we saw the rise in YouTube and in social media. And so being aware, hyper aware of all of the abilities and opportunities that those technological advances were going to give us in terms of disseminating our information, we were able to kind of get in front of it and go, okay, well, the one thing we share in common is we're all really, really good at getting in trouble or causing trouble. We're, we're great criminals. <laughs> we're, we're still great criminals, but in the artistic sense. And when we were little, you know, it was just pure vandalism and chaos. You, you, you're not articulate. You're not articulating anything specific. You're just breaking shit and making a mess. But when we grew up and we, you know, found our inspiration through different, you know, whatever it was, artists or authors, and then we had Bush in office, that's what drove us to really get serious about using all of our skills to make a difference. And these are things that your parents and teachers are supposed to be paying attention to as well. But very rarely are you going to see those elements coming together to, you know, glorify graffiti and activism. And so we had to figure that out on our own. And rather than going to film school or rather going to art school, we took those things and we built up in decline. So you got to find like-minded individuals and you don't have to commit crimes. You just need to make noise. And that's the big thing. There's, there's a, there's um, a million different ways to do this, but you have to be loud and you have to be willing to take risks. I think that playing it safe is not really an option when you're talking about things like climate change, because there's absolutely nothing safe about that. If you're really going to get serious about any of these issues, you have to be willing to go to jail and get arrested and get hurt and really sacrifice your liberties. And it's also worth noting, especially here in America, we have so many rights. And what good are they if you're not just going to completely exploit them to the furthest extent? You know, we have all these so-called freedoms but, you know, I think the, the truest and most romantic way of using those is to fight on behalf of other people or to fight for causes just to fully exploit those freedoms. Don't just sit back and do nothing and be comfy. But, you know, everyone can agree that climate change is real or most people that we know can. But what are you really going to do about it? You know, what, what's what's your time here on Earth going to represent? So, yeah, you got to find you got to find your people and then find your voice. And, and, and like you mentioned, there's so many different issues. You know, when we went to Occupy Wall Street, you had the corner for the the financial aspects of that, which was really the root. And then, but there was also people going hard against the climate um, change stuff. There was the pro-choice groups and it became very convoluted. And in one sense, it was kind of it almost disarmed them because there was just too much going on. But it also just goes to show, you know, how much work it really is to keep pushing that needle. So, um, a famous artist, a Chinese artist, he's a dissident named Ai Weiwei, who's one of our heroes. And he has a quote that's, you know, there can be a single drop of water hitting a rock. It's not going to do anything for a very long time, but eventually it'll drill a hole through that rock. And that's really what we're doing. You know, that's where all these little, every little act we do, every generation is that next drop of water. And we do make progress. It doesn't seem like it. And we might not see it in the time that Indicline's functioning for, but you ha you have to look at it 
you have to look at it differently when you're talking about activism, because as soon as you start studying history, you realize that these people live and died and fought for what they believed in. And although it didn't seem like much happened then, it meant the world to future generations. And it does eventually change policy when you start to see different iterations of it as they evolve. So, yeah, it's uh, it's important to educate yourself and know what you're getting into. Yeah, I mean, that, there's a bunch of helpful information for the kids out there. You know, get get your crew together. I guess I've got a little story of trying to commit some kind of a street art effort, and it kind of failed blatantly. So there's a there's a lady over in Australia. Her name's Pauline Hanson, and I used to ride to work every day. And there was a big billboard of her um, of a a redhead. You know, she looked like she looks like Ronald McDonald. And she's a funny looking woman, but she um, she was the only one that was in that sort of in the political sort of realm of Australia that was invited to Trump's inauguration. I don't even think the the president was invited. So you can already sort of know what, what kind of a woman she was. She's she's very racist and I think she actually wore a burqa in 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 the in the Australian Parliament one day and it was to make some kind of a, a point about something. But you know, I was riding I was riding past this this woman every day, the banner. And I thought, fuck, I'm gonna just go and just spray paint a burqa on her face, you know, and, and write something. But I think it was like I had to work the next day. It was I had to work on the Monday, and it was like Sunday night. So I was like, "Fuck it, I'll just I'll burn down there and, and do it." It was like eight o'clock at night, and some dude pulled up, and he had he had actually had red hair as well. He, he might have been a I think he was a Pauline Hanson supporter. He looked like maybe a cousin or something, but he had something to say about it. And anyway, I ended up bailing on the um on the whole thing. But you know, I think I'm I'm fairly certain that somebody else ended up ended up bombing that thing anyway you know someone else drew on it so I was like yes you know but my point is is that um I ended up getting busted you know and it was pretty blatant and I was pretty lazy but I mean it, it's a big thing on, on on getting caught I think if you're a, if you're a young person you want to try and make a, a a protest or you want to do something creatively and you get caught it kind of bums you out kind of sets you back a little bit so I think it's really important to to try not to get caught so so do you have any sort of suggestions or or you know what? What's your sort of method? I know you guys do a lot of planning and preparing, and probably changed your 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 methods, you know, at different times. But do you have any kind of a foundation in in that realm? Yeah, I think the smartest thing to do is really to treat every single mission like it's a bank robbery. You know, we've we've done projects that take less than ten minutes to to to, to create. You know, once we're there, it's that quick. So it is a bank robbery in, in, in like the fullest form. And, but it'll take four months of constant planning and research and logistical training and phone calls to security. I mean, it's just, there's a million different ways to look at it, but you don't want to get into something just because it's, it looks like it's an easy thing or you assume it's easy or you think like it has to happen now. You don't want to ever rush. There's too much on the line. You know, everything can wait until the right, until the right moment. Even if you're, even if you're there and you've traveled halfway across the country to be there at a specific place, if it's, if there's, if it's not feeling right, if there's that one car and you're not sure about that car, you know, there's, there's always those game time decisions that you have to be prepared to make. There's nothing worse than saying, fuck it, because that's what could ultimately, you know, end you. And so, you know, and just know the score, know what you're getting into. If you, if you've got a buddy that's an attorney, utilize him, talk to people. And you know, we have meetings constantly with a friend of ours that's in law we'll have we'll take him to lunch and we'll give him the the ins and outs of, an, of a project just to hear him say 
what we'd be up against if we if worst case scenario this is what you have to deal with and sometimes that news is very relieving it's you know okay a couple misdemeanors no big deal sometimes it's it's him really begging us not to do stuff you know he he looks at it from a different angle and that's the point don't be afraid to reach out for other opinions within your of course within the safety net of your people but um yeah always always just take your time and I think, like I said, I, we liken it to bank robberies because, you know, you, you've got this blueprint of whatever it is you're going to do, whether it's a banner drop or a billboard, you know, or some sort of like art installation. And then also on the flip side of that, really, this is something we've learned recently, maybe in the last five years, but don't underestimate the stupidity of civilians who are just kind of out on their daily commute. You know, a lot of things can be done broad daylight. And we've been we've been doing that more often. You know, there's been projects that you just assume you have to do it four in the morning when no one's out, but that's when the cops are out too. And that's, that's when you and the cops are really the only people on the road. And so there's a lot to say about looking at the same project in broad daylight and just throwing on a hard hat and a worker vest. And we've done so many things like that, where we just actually did a billboard in Los Angeles less than two weeks ago. That was eight, nine in the morning rush hour. People were driving through downtown and went up there dressed up like a billboard worker change the message on a McDonald's billboard, climb down and people watch the whole thing and, and they're on their way to work with, you know, they don't care. And by the time it's done, it's done. You know, we saw Ron English doing that back in like the nineties, the just dressing like a, you know, a, a painter. He just would wear those overalls and he'd just go up with the ladder and do it in front of the entire neighborhood. And he was a little overweight and he looked like, you know, he fit the role and no one thought it. And then when he walked away, they look at the message and it was kind of that forehead slapping moment. Like, Oh, that motherfucker, <laughs> that's not supposed to be there. So that's also worth looking into. You don't always have to, you know, operate under the cover of darkness. Sometimes you can just go right through the front door and get away just as easily, if not easier, if you're smart about it. Yeah, cool. That, that's some helpful information. So, yeah, if you've got the high-vis, you can do a broad daylight. And you know what? That's maybe what I should have done. I could have just jumped off my motorbike on the way home in my high-vis and just probably could have just hit it, you know? Yeah, you pull up in a white white truck, couple cones, and that little orange flashing light. Well, you it, no, no one wants to even deal with you. Mm. You know, I mean, it's like you could dress up like a homeless person. It, you you think of the different elements of society that people tend to avoid. Construction is one of them. Construction workers. How often do you actually stare at what those fuckers are doing? Never. You see them, and you just want to get past whatever they're doing. So. It's funny to think about it when you drive around, and we always do. You could look at a guy who's in just an unmarked truck. He's got his hard hat on, and he's probably and he's most likely doing something completely legal. But he's digging around and he's working on something. But have that thought someday about like, what if that guy is, you know, bugging that bank, or what if that guy's doing this, and everyone's just driving by, versus driving by that same guy at four in the morning. You're going to pay attention to that guy because it's like, what's he doing with the hard hat at four a.m.? <laughs> so you know, food for thought for future criminal endeavors. Yeah, no, that's um, all, all good information. So, Mr. Trump, so what is it about Trump that really sort of irks you guys? Because, I mean, I'm going to play, you know, the devil's advocate, and I'm going to say, well, he was elected. Obviously, people didn't go out to vote in that election. They probably didn't have two of the, the, the greatest candidates. I guess a lot of people sat on their hands, and potentially the next election is going to look different. So, so what is it about Trump that really sort of gets up your grill? And I, I know there's... Obviously, it's hard not to just yeah. say everything. But Is there yeah, anything he's doing? But like... You know, a yeah. lot of people are saying, well, you know, he's he's fixed the economy, he's improving, you know, certain things. 
there's, there's obviously you, still a lot of Trump supporters, you know. Of course there are, yeah. His biggest feat, I think the thing that I would give him most credit for, is rallying our side, kicking out everyone, kicking everyone out of that slumber we were in when Obama was in office, using drones to drop bombs on the Middle East the same way Bush did. There was a lot that he did that was completely fucking unethical, and no one stepped up to say or do anything about it because it was Obama. And now Trump's not as aggressive on the war front, but socially and on an international level, you know, it's kind of back to that Bush era thing where, you know, we're just an embarrassment again. You know, we have this guy who's just sexist, racist, xenophobic. Like, I mean, there's so many things that are wrong with this man personally, not even just in policy, but when you compare those, when you combine them, when he gets into public office, it's a fucking recipe for disaster. And so he has mobilized the resistance in a way that we have not seen for over a decade. And, you know, the tricky thing with that is he he's very, very good at keeping things fresh. He's always got a new quote or injustice or something. He's always working on something new. He won't be defined like Bush was for these illegal wars in the Middle East and a couple little things here and there. I mean, this guy's all over the place. Like He offends everybody. So it makes it tough. It makes it tough from a, uh, an activist standpoint because while he's throwing paper towels at Puerto Ricans, being super disrespectful to their culture and to their government and their people, by the time you can mobilize to do something uh, in relation to that, he's come back and offended our military. He's come back and done something, you know, completely reprehensible in a totally different sector of society. And so you have to, you have to stand your toes and, and Trump fatigue is a very real thing. Um, and I think a lot of us are suffering from that because it's only been what, two years plus he's not even halfway done or maybe just about halfway done with his first term. And, you know, there's two big issues we face. One is just being tired of him. And the other is being too entertained by him because, you know, Bush had some of those elements too, where he was just funny. He was just such a fuck up that you would just laugh, but you, then you didn't realize how dangerous that was to let him entertain you. And so I wouldn't, um, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he goes down as one of the worst presidents in American history. I mean, that's, it's, it's very likely, I think he's making George Bush look like um, Gandhi. You know, and all, all things considered, this guy's not bad. And and what's nasty about him is that it's there's a there's a there's a like cultural disease right now. I mean, one prime example that's ultra glaring is the him rolling out the red carpet for white supremacist groups. This is something we have not had to deal with this publicly and this consistently for a very, very long time. We know they exist. They will always exist. America's an inherently racist country will always be racist. And Australia has that same history. There's, there's those issues there, but you, they are in a, they're a marginalized part of society. They are hidden away. And as soon as Trump got that microphone, they came out of the wood, the woodwork, and they've been killing people in our streets. You know, they've been, they, they've been, they've been, completely out of control and they're using Trump's endorsements, blatant endorsements as justification for that. So for him to reach that far back into the, the darkest, darkest parts of our history is scary. It's not just the, the new stuff. Like it's not just the, the current issues, you know, or the prevailing things like immigration that we're always grappling with and trying to figure out. It's just pure racism, you know, bringing that back into the, into the um, forum, the public forum is really a dangerous thing and it's going to come back to bite us in the ass in this next election. So 
you know, I, I don't know. There's, there's, there's a lot wrong with that man. Um, but all, all we can really do is just keep fighting and really hope that Mueller finds something to hang him with because, you know, it's what the best bet we've got. So with the whole two-party system, it kind of seems like the Dems or Republicans, whoever's in, they're, they're all sort of in the pocket of the big bank. kind of seems like over the last 20, 30 years that both parties, regardless of who's in, the whole idea of democracy is is kind of just washed out by by corporate interests. And the same thing is happening in Australia. It seems as though it, it doesn't really matter who, who gets voted in. So, I mean, like, what do you see as like a, an ultimatum or like a way to resolve that or how things are going to get better from, from that two-party system? Is it, I know in New York at the moment, there's a guy running for governor that's a libertarian that's trying to introduce like a third party into the political realm. Do you think that's something that people should be trying to get behind and trying to create and in local politics and on a broader scale as well? Absolutely. Our system's been broken for a very long time and it's not sustainable. You know, we're, we're in dire need of something new. The fucked up part is that Trump for, you know, essentially half of the country, he was that something new. He ran on that. I'm not a politician. I'm a businessman. So in their minds, that was a way to fix the system. Then you have the other side, which is like, no, 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 we need to get away from these businessmen. We need to get away from the big millionaires. They don't represent us. They don't represent the people. They represent their millionaire friends. You know, that's that's going to be tough because you know, on one hand, you can look at Trump's presidency and all of the strides people are making to not just fight against him, but raise awareness and inspire people to fight for, you know, a better country. We're either so disgusted with our country and the way we're going that we tap out, or this is when we get prideful about America and what we believe it to be. And, and we fight for a better America, you know, socially, politically, all of the above, which would, you know, hopefully mean a new system or an altered system. So, yeah, I mean, maybe coming out of this election, one of the greatest things would be for people to, you know, take a stab at that. But at, at the end of the day, the ironic thing is that you're you're still going up against that Goliath. You're still going up against corporate America that has all of their talents completely embedded in every single sector of society. That's a that's a big undertaking. And so I don't know what that looks like. You know, I don't know what needs to happen for that point. Well, I think flip. what you just said there is what needs to happen. And as humans, we are an entity based on need. You know, we, we get comfortable and we don't change things unless unless we have to. It's like yeah. we got to wait till all the bloody ice caps melt before we go, oh, fuck, we, we better do something about that or make changes. And we sort mm -hmm. of, it feels like we are getting to that tipping point environmentally, definitely politically, that people want change. And I think it's just there is this kind of grassroots sort of movement towards sustainability, I think, with people. We're becoming a lot more conscious. We're becoming a lot more familiar with, with all of the information that's sort of coming to us about, you know, what's wrong with the environment, what's, what's wrong with our politics. You know, we are being bombarded by all of this information. But the, the thing is, as, as an individual, quite often you go, fuck, like there's just so much information and there's so much wrong. What do I do to, what am I going to do to change it, you know? And I think eventually, you know, like I said, we do things out of necessity. We do things because we have to. But how do you, how do you isolate something or how do you choose your, your goal and say, I'm going to stick to that? Like, is it just the thing that sort of 
flares you up the, the most or motivates you the most? So what is it that makes you choose, hey, we're going to shine a light on this one? I mean, you just said it. It's typically something that affects you directly, you know. So if it's pedophile priests in the Catholic Church, maybe you were abused. If it's you're a surfer and, you know, the ocean's the most valuable thing to you, it's probably going to be climate change. So it, I think it comes down to that. Some people fight for anything and everything, you know, and just spread themselves across across all of it. But it's a it's an ethical thing. It's a moral thing. You have to look at the information you're given. You have to try not try, you have to, you have to really be disciplined so that when you get out of high school, you, I, you acknowledge that your real education, the most important years of your life are really starting then because the easy part's done with, you've showed up to this institution that hands you everything and gives you these fucking grades and then you're out and you're on your own. And the best thing that we did, we being the people that founded Indecline was we, if we didn't get kicked out of high school, we just dipped and kind of created our own alternate education system. So speaking of that alternate education system, if you're a young kid coming up and you go, well, fuck, where's the – because there's just so much. I think with like you were talking about in the education system, there's just this layer of – it's like the crust of the earth, you know, and and there's no real depth to it. There's just so much information that's just rubbish. So is there any sort of like artists that you can recommend or authors that you can recommend that – I know you just mentioned the Chinese artist. Yeah, Hai Weiwei. Wei Wei. Is there um, any other authors and, and artists that you can recommend that will sort of get kids sort of thinking alternatively? I think the single most important book that's ever been written in America was Howard Zinn's People's History of the United States. It's it changed my life. It changed the lives of everyone I've talked to that, that have read it, primarily because when it starts off, the first chapter is about Columbus, and it just kind of talks about, this is what you learned in school about Columbus, right? And then here's what really happened, and that's the premise for the entire book. It's the most factual history book, and it's the right side of history that he's talking about. So the same thing's happening in Australia. I mean, it's 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 very similar that we grew up and Captain Cook settled and the, you know, the indigenous people were savages, you know, and now information's coming out that in fact the indigenous peoples of Australia were farming, you know, they weren't uh, migratory, they were, you know, settled, they had structures, homes, they had philosophies, they had all of these established things that just essentially got deleted out of the history books. And now there's a bit of information coming back and it seems as though it's sort of like there was 150 years of trying to press delete on all of this stuff and now now there's information sort of seeping through, which is awesome, you know. But it still seems like it's it's coming through very slowly and a lot of the institutions are still unwilling to, to sort of pry open that can of worms. They've been teaching it a certain way for so long. You have to just get away, as far away from that as you can. It doesn't mean... Going to the library, it means finding finding groups with like-minded interests. Find out what they're reading. Look into the artists that you like. Find out what they read. Find out the documentaries that they watched. All that stuff exists. Noam Chomsky is obviously a national treasure, and we'll probably lose him in the next 10 or 15 years, and hopefully we'll have someone replace him. You know, you, if you look at James Baldwin, what he was to the African-American race and struggles. Now we have Ta-Nehisi Coates, who's also writing almost in lieu of him, in, in, in a, as a replacement of him. But he's carrying that torch. And so it's not very hard. You just have to take the time to seek these guys out. And as soon as you do, you just get drunk off of it because you're taking in this information that's driving home the facts and the realities of the world you live in. And at that point, that's when you can start to really look inside yourself and, and make that 
decision to fight. Otherwise, it's kind of sad, you know, fucked up and hypocritical to to read something and be affected by it and then do nothing. You know, I always use the example just because I'm vegan and a lot of my friends are too, is if you sit and you watch the, you know, meet your meat videos, you watch these documentaries on animal cruelty and, and you know, what the meat industry does for the environment, all these things, you know, when it's all laid out in front of you, it's hard to ignore. And it's, and it's, it's one of those things where maybe not everyone's going to go vegan when they see it, but to acknowledge it, it really, it really forces you, it forces your hand. It, it makes it so like, wow, I mean, I'm, I'm aware of how fucked up that is. That's horrible. Not just on a health level, on an ethical level, on an environmental level. This one industry, this one thing, just our diet. But I'm cool because I like bacon and I'm just going to leave it at that. And same thing with cigarettes. You know, everyone kind of has those moments where they get educated on something and then they're forced to act. And politically and socially, we all have those dilemmas. And so you have to be willing to accept the truth. And not just that, you have to like really, really fight to seek it out. And then once you do... Yeah. So, I mean, just recently the red tide over in Florida, they're talking about that is coming from wash off from from the cornfields and the the nitrogen upstream. And yeah, the the main sort of perpetrator of that is, I forget the name of the company, but it's the biggest supplier to McDonald's. So it's like just, it's becoming more and more directly clear. Like a few Mm. years ago, I was driving from Colorado to Chicago and I think we drive, forget how long it was. It was like 10 or 12 hour drive, maybe longer. But it just blew my mind to actually see this monoculture of just fucking cornfields the whole way, the whole way. And these mm-hmm. rivers just getting drained to, to supply corn to the pigs and the, and the animals that are getting slaughtered. It's just, it's, it's mind-blowing, you know, the level of, of agriculture that's happening, you know, and the nitrogens that are getting washed into the ocean and talking about it, it's really getting to this scenario where it's, it's, a, it's a needs assessment, you know, and we're really getting to that sort of spectrum of, oh, wow, we really need to, to try and edit and modify the way we live. Mm-hmm. And there's definitely, I think, a, a movement towards that. But like you said, that there still needs to be so much more done um, on so many levels. You know, people have got to start making decisions personally and individually, but also affecting, you know, our politics. Because a lot of the time, like you said, we sit back and we complain about our government, but what are we actually doing about it? How are we affecting our government? You know, are we going, are we voting at our local elections? You know, a, a lot of the people that are here complaining about things don't even vote. And they're whinging and complaining and then they go, oh, no, I don't, I don't vote. And it's like, well, that, that's a pretty, it's a, it's a strange thing to me that if you can't even exercise that right, then that, that to me is like, that's a fundamental sort of issue. But yeah, I mean, there definitely needs to be changes made. And I think because we're so far down the line, we're so used to having all of this fast food at immediate hands reach, and it's going to take us a while to kind of sort of wind back the clock on all that and try and edit and change the way that we consume food potentially have to pay more for food because it, it's got to be grown locally or you know sourced in, in a different method you know you got trucks sort of moving stuff all around it's just insane like the, the way that the system's set up at the moment is, is entirely unsustainable so in order to negate or necessitate this change I mean there's, there's got to be a some pretty major sort of movements towards as I see it on a micro level you know a lot of sustainable practices like your microbrewery is, is an example of that that sort of just seems to work you know that people are brewing beer locally and it's taken you know taken it away from from your corporate sort of design but that sort of little thing 
that little movement, it seems to be really changing and affecting the way that we consume things and, and the way that we can perceive things, you know. The way that I sort of envision the future is like, yeah, having your vegetables growing in your backyard, having solar panels on your roof, having a little wind farm, having a battery, having an electric car, you know, having some chooks in the backyard to get your eggs. Community gardens, that kind of micro level is a massive part of the fundamental sort of brickwork for how we're going to build a sustainable future. So it's not always about like blaming the government and saying, I see that a lot, you know. In Australia, we, we have free healthcare. We have very good schooling. We have a lot of good stuff provided to us by our government. So I, a lot of the time I see people whinging and complaining and bitching and moaning, oh, the government should do this, the government should do that, where we kind of take the responsibility away from the individual, from ourselves, and we, we kind of end up pointing the finger. I think those, all of those sort of little things can add up to reduce your carbon footprint, you know, and I think that's something that that information needs to be spread a lot more. How do you reduce your carbon footprint? Like, how do you manage things on a micro level? And that's just something that's really important that should be getting taught in schools or, you know, any kind of an education sort of facility. But it, I don't know if it's happening now. I'm, I'm a long ways out of school, but it, it's all those things that are going to make the difference, I think, and, and, and make things better. We just got off off, <laughs> off subject a little bit there. So uh, another thing I noticed you guys have been spending a lot of time on is police brutality. So mm-hmm. we have it also in Australia on a micro level where there's been a lot of death in custody of Indigenous people. It's fairly politicised, but the same as over here, the, the police at every time sort of get let off the hook. So I know you guys have, have been spending some time with that. So what is it that is so important to you guys about that? And, you know, what do you hope to, to see to change to make things better? So, I mean, accountability is important. Cops aren't this untouchable entity like the president is. You know, I feel like you can get to them and um, a lot easier, especially a few years ago when they essentially, you know, declared open hunting season on African-Americans. It seemed like they were shooting somebody every other week. And then being acquitted, it's not a good situation. And so for us, yeah, it's it's checks and balances, right? You know, they're not they're not being policed. Who's policing them? Government's not interfering. Nobody's stepping in to uh, to do much. Those body cams were completely ineffective. They can just be turned off, or you know, they're manipulating those and finding loopholes. And even with the implementation of those under Obama, you still see issues. And so we've done a couple really. We did one really high profile project on Hollywood Boulevard that got a lot of media attention, and we we've got a few more in the works. But that's, uh, that's another thing that, similar to climate change, is something that we like to stay on top of because it does seem like, you know, not much time goes by that there's there's another unjust um, killing. And predominantly a white cop shooting an African-American man or woman um, who didn't have the knife, didn't lunge at them the way they said they did, and then everything goes to trial and they get acquitted and they go in and use the police to suppress the the uh, part of society, the uh, civilians in that in that town that are pissed about it. So again, just pushing back, pulling the rope from the other side, and uh, and making sure that these racist cops know the score if they're going to go and do this stuff. There's always going to be a growing movement behind that. I mean, Black Lives Matter was a great addition to to our country because now you have this singular entity of this prolific activist body that's holding police accountable and um, speaking on behalf of. African Americans who are being mistreated on a daily basis, whether it's stop and frisk or what, even if it's just a routine traffic stop. So we're operating on our own realm, um, you know, under in decline. But there's been a really big movement there, and we just want to make sure that we keep that up so that 
you know, it doesn't just become commonplace. I think a lot of the times, if it happens enough and it happens frequently, you just, you get used to it, you know, and you get numbed by it. And so it's kind of how like school shootings are getting, you know, like after Sandy Hook, it was like unfathomable that nothing would happen. And then nothing happened after dozens of little kids got killed in a school with a gun, with another one of these fucking assault rifles. And then Parkland comes along and we're going to have another one. And then we're going to do nothing about that. And, And I think with each police killing, with each school shooting, with these polar, you know, the ice caps with all these things, the more you hear about it and the more frequently strides are not made, the, the more difficult it is to really rally the general populace, you know, within the activist community, those are just shots to the heart every single time, you know, that we were emotionally affected and then, and then driven to act. But that's just a small little piece of the population, you know, your parents and young parents who have kids that are growing up need to be talking about Parkland to their kids and need to be talking about guns to their kids and all these things. If there's just so much of it, it just becomes overwhelming. And now it's this big task. And it it just becomes so like debilitating to think about how to handle all this chaos in the world. And it shuts people down. And so that's a fucking issue. That's something that needs to be really like paid attention to because Trump is very similar in that. We just touched on that earlier. It's the it's the fatigue of like constantly hearing about the same thing over and over and over to the point where you're just like, I don't give a shit. You know, we're all going to die someday. And then you just take that stance of like, I'm cool. You know, I'm, I'm over. Yeah. It seems to be with like, especially with the way that we receive our information and news now, it is a bombardment, you know, it is, it is hard to kind of decipher through what's real, what isn't. And so trying to find the right sort of media outlet to receive the honest information. But yeah, mm-hmm. we, we are receiving and I think that is the human brain hasn't caught up to it just yet, you know. Our frontal cort- cortex needs to develop a little bit more to, um, you know, to, to try and absorb all this information or Elon Musk yeah. could plant like a, a chip in there so we can increase our, our brain capacity or something because it, it really is. It's getting fight like everything's like the like was talking about the red tide in Florida and then police brutality and then army industrial complex and fucking starting wars all over the world and it's like wow like environmentally there's just so much sort of shit going on at once and i don't know if it was always like that but things weren't being discussed as much because we relied on you know your your sort of retail news providers and Mm -hmm. i think that's a part of it is that a lot of this stuff was happening but it wasn't it wasn't a lot of that information wasn't getting out because of the way that we were being actually just dished out news you know so i think there is going to be like a period of of adjustment where we need to like be able to essentially for our brain to evolve you know to catch up to this to all this information part of it though too is just really being diligent with who you're receiving your news from there's so many sources it's easy just to pick a few you know i mean the, the, the brilliant thing about the media especially corporate media is that you know if you go if you tune into msnbc and all the big dogs fox fox never has i don't know if i've ever seen fox not have the word breaking news on their stupid fucking screen you know what i mean it's always just there and they're they're really really good at just invoking the panic and the fear and 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 just entertaining you it's far less entertaining and it doesn't have the the charm or not the charm but the bells and whistles but a simple website like democracynow.org, which has been providing me with an alternative news source for I don't know how many years, 
obviously NPR, but there's a million. You can find them and they're in there. They win awards. They have incredible journalists working for them. They stick to the facts. They're very, very talented. And it's no bullshit. There's no circus. There's no Sean Hannity attached to it. And I think that those are important because you can just start in your day with a few sort new sources. That's what I do. I wake up and the first thing I do is I'll dig in. Dark Democracy Now puts up the headlines for you know the day prior. I'll check in with the BBC, maybe the Guardian here and there, and then I'll every single night before I go to bed, I'm on NPR and I just listen to a couple things, read a few things, and I'm good. I don't need to get bombarded with everything else. I've got all of my facts, and if there's something major that's developing, then I'll dig into it. But it's a a very non-overwhelming or un- it's a non-overwhelming amount of information that allows me to function during the day without feeling like I want to just bury my head in the sand and die. And I have so many friends that have just admitted that to not reading the news because of, it makes them depressed, which is the most depressing thing I've ever heard because that's what keeps us going, you know, is like identifying the problems and then going and fighting against them. If you're not receiving that information by choice, that's deplorable. That's, that's the worst. You know, you're not contributing at all at that point and you're, and you're uninformed. So you can't even, you know, you can't sit in a room with people who are meant to inspire you and even know what they're talking about. And so, you know, that's a good way to start. And then obviously we talked about it before, just make sure you're always carving out time for your own version of an education and, you know, just read as much as you can, you know, that's, it's, you know, there's, there's nothing, there's nothing more sexy than being a bookworm, you know, man or woman, whatever it is, there's nothing sexier than going to someone's house and seeing it lined with books. Those are the most intelligent, amazing people you'll ever meet in your life. That's, that's the key to life right there. Just consume everything. Have you ever heard of the Australian documentary filmmaker, George Giddos? What was uh, he done? He's done the soundtrack to war. I don't think that so. was like an early one that he did, but I think you'll love him. Okay. I reckon he'll blow oh. your mind. He went, yeah. he went, he did the first one, the soundtrack to war. I'm pretty sure it was the, when the Iraq war, when Bush went into Iraq and there's some pretty wild footage of just him with his camera walking up to, you know, us soldiers and they're like, stop, or we'll shoot. You know, he's like, no, no, don't worry. I'm just an Aussie um, journalist. I want to ask you some questions. And um, so, yeah, he, he ends up asking them about what music they're listening to. So what music were you listening to where you're burning around your tank blowing shit up, you know? So yeah. it, it was quite interesting. It gets into the sort of the, the stories of, of the individuals. And then he ends up going over to Brownsville, Florida, because there was a, a young dude named E, I think his name was. And he's like, man, there's a war zone in my, where I live. And it's more dangerous than... Right. And George is like, well, i got to jump on that, you know. So he goes over. And, yeah, it's a war zone. And he's like, these dudes are like, man, we're out here fighting these wars in the Middle East that affect you know, that's destroying people's lives, destroying families, destroying people's homes. And we've got war zones in our backyard and our government's <laughs> forgotten about us. They're not doing nothing about it. So, yeah, it's fascinating. This this dude has just got, like, fucking, like, elephant balls, man, like gonads, just just doing all these, this crazy shit. And another one that he, he just did was, like, northern Pakistan. And it was, it I forget the name of that one. But once again, just super inspiring. I mean, he, he's in the middle of northern Pakistan and he's talking to people that are selling DVDs. And, you know, the Taliban's blowing up these DVD shops because they want to, you know, they want to kill all. Yeah. Like it's the it death is. of art type thing. 
and so they're, they're just trying to eliminate any anything other than their, their religious beliefs. So he's just getting amongst it. But yeah, you got to check him out, man. George Giddo is he's he's definitely worth looking into if you if you're sort of if you, if your brain's in that sort of realm. I think yeah. you really like him. We got off off topic again. I'm pretty good at that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So 2001 to 2018, that's almost 20 years. So how do you how do you maintain a, a collective for 20 years? I mean, that, that's a very long time to to, to even have a, a, a friendship. I was I was a baby then, you know, when I was like 10 years old, you know, um, back then. So how do you maintain that dynamic between your crew, and how do you keep that energy burning? Well, I mean, in the world of activism, you're maintained by the world around you, you know. So. Uh, lucky or unlucky for us, it's it's kind of the same way like a program like South Park maintains. You know, there's a never-ending amount of inspiration or information that is given to you that provokes you to then respond or, in their case, you know, create their satirical cartoon. So that's that's a big part of it. And seeing the effect it has on the people that follow us is a big part of it, too. Seeing it work, the amount of press that we get the ability for us just to email a press outlet before ahead of going to a certain city for a certain activation and give them the tiniest crumbs but just just by announcing that we're going to be present it 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 invokes curiosity and having that power is really important for us because now it means that we're we're operating on a bigger level um so we have an audience and so um it took us a long time to get here but you know now i feel like we're we're hitting our stride We're we're you know much older there's a finesse to what we're doing. We're able to experiment with a lot of different mediums, which is exciting. I never thought we'd do sculpture. So getting out of just the pure aerosol world and moving into into even like theater and feature films eventually, those are all things that we'll be looking to do. And so, yeah, I mean, we're barely there. You know, we're just getting started. And, and uh, you know, unfortunately, Donald Trump's president, but we're carving out our place in history. And, and like it or not, these are historical times. I mean, this is going to go down as one of the most historical presidencies in our country's history. The biggest so, fuck up in history. One of them. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's big, you know? So we want to make sure we have our place in that. You know, it's, it seems like every month I'll pick up, I'll pick up a book related to, you know, if it's Huey P. Newton's revolutionary suicide or the book on act up and what they were doing during the eighties and the AIDS crisis in New York. And in the back of my mind, I'm just thinking, well, we just got, we have to keep fighting so that when we're all done, there's some book or there's some, there's something left behind so that when Trump 3.0 comes down the road or whatever the case may be, there's a blueprint because, you know, the Black Panthers and ACT UP and all the people that came before us that were carrying the torch, they were operating in a completely different environment culturally, technologically. And here we are with cameras and Internet and social media and all these things. If you look at Arab Spring, that's a perfect example of like mobilization through something that was never really around and in the Middle East, no less. And so... We are really, really proud to be representing the, the activist movement in this era. And we've been doing it for a really long time, and the stuff we have coming up is just monumental. And so we're far from done, you know, provided we survive at all. We'll be, we'll be going for a while yet. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that. I love the, the idea that, you know, it's, you're just in your infancy and you've got plenty of room to grow. I think that's great, and it's super inspiring. I know you were saying about the the bugger up guys and and people joining the collective. How do you guys recruit your people and how does how does that sort of work? Do you guys do people approach you or do you invite people? How does that unfold? 
we don't typically do any recruiting. Um, people approach us for the most part, and just in the in the world of graffiti and street art, we're introduced to people just you know organically. Relationships kind of build. You know, some of the people we work with quite a bit are just people we've met, you know, in the graffiti scene, and who over the years have become politicized or whatever. And so, yeah, I mean, the best thing to do is just reach out to us. You know, we we, we work with people who have just sent us emails before saying. This is who I am. This is where I live. Here's what I'm interested in. And then, hey, look, we're going to come and we're going to be in Virginia doing something related to this, uh, you know, this white supremacist rally. And then we've got this group of three or four guys that are down to ride with us. And that kind of support has grown exponentially, especially in the last like five or six years for us, where we just have this growing database of people we can tap. You know, we have school teachers on that database. We have, you know, people who work in welding. I mean, there's so many different things and that really helps when we get ready to head to New York to look at, you know, the different, uh, the different people we can utilize for projects. It's tough because you never really know who you're talking to until you get in front of them, especially on some of the more high risk projects. But, you know, if it's something that's extremely intense, we'll usually use the the A team, so to speak. Just to yeah, so I guess that's another thing that you've got to be cautious of or aware of is, you know, infiltrators. You know, we know that you're talking about infiltration of certain movements, and it's a known fact that that obviously government departments want to get involved. Or so, you, do you, do you have to do some kind of a screening, or do you normally sort of look in, or or you sort of generally look up your your guy, see what their work is, and then base it off of that. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a few different ways we handle this. You know, I would say that the the most effective ways are things that we wouldn't want to get into on the, on the podcast. <laughs> you know, but yeah, there's a there's a screening process, and there's a there's a there's a level of comfort that we all need to reach. But you know, for the most part, we've been really lucky, and uh, we'll, we'll keep it up. Cool. So, how do we find you guys on social media? If I want to look look up your stuff, how do we find you? All we have is an Instagram, so we have Indecline Official. Beyond that, just the website. This is indecline.com. It's where all of our content lives and our uh, our shopping cart, you know, our merchandise. We sell everything from T-shirts to gloves and bandanas. There's just a whole lot of stuff on there, just tools of the trade, so to speak. But 100% of those proceeds fund our our actions. We don't, we don't take any profit from that. And so if we're looking to do something on climate change, before the end of the year and we have an idea in mind it's going to cost us five or six thousand dollars to pull it off we start saving and so every penny earned through t-shirt sales goes directly towards that and we're typically able to identify those projects and tell people in advance hey we're going to go after white supremacy in america and sometimes it's you know been a couple days we'll make four thousand bucks and a week later we're doing the project and it's almost an instantaneous give back which um really gets people involved so that's the best way to hook us up and help us do what we do right not bail <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Squiggle, probably running out of time here. Is there anything you want to leave us with? Is there any any kind of anything you want to leave with the leave the viewers? Yeah, I would just say you know, take the time to think about what what you're gonna what mark you're gonna leave. You know, for us, we've we've like I said, we've come to at a very young age, we came to the conclusion that you know we were better at you know activist art and causing trouble and and you know kind of creating these provoking projects than, than we were skateboarding and um, all these other things that we thought we were going to do when we got older. We, we, we found our niche and we stuck with it. And, and, and luckily for us, it was something that gave back in a very unique and different way. And then we've, you know, we've evolved as, as time goes on. But I, yeah, I think it's just important to, 
you know, to really think long and hard about what it is you're doing to contribute to society. And beyond that, what are you doing to contribute to people that need contribution? You know, if you, if you identify something as a problem, you know, what do you have within your, you know, immediate reach, whether it's family or artistic skills to fight for that? Like we said before, use your privileges as an American citizen and all of your rights to actually fucking make a difference. And don't worry about whether or not it changes the law. Worry about being that drop of water on the rock. That's that's what it's cool. all about. Thank you so much for your time. You got it's it. It's a pleasure. Cheers, Thanks, mate. Brother. Later.